Have you ever wanted something so much, but it just seemed to be out of your reach? Have you ever worked really, really hard to achieve a certain goal in your life, but actually achieving your goal remained elusive? You know, every year when we watch the Olympics, we learn so many stories about the athletes, don't we? We learn about how they trained from the time they were just yay high every day, all their lives, for hours, for just one shot to make the Olympic team and compete to win a medal. And some of those athletes never even make the Olympic team, although they are all amazing athletes, world-class athletes in their own right. And some do make the team, and they do their best, and still that medal eludes them. I was wondering how many athletes had their dreams dashed when the games were canceled last year because of the pandemic. It's hard to train and, and reach your peak and then have to do it all again for a year period. That's a big deal when you're a world-class performance athlete. Or maybe you know someone who worked really hard all their life studying all the time to make the best grades that they could and in in um, undergraduate school and graduate school so they could get into that medical school of their choice, the, the top choice, the best in the nation that they wanted so hard to get into, only to find out that in the end they didn't finish quite high enough to get into that school that they so desperately wanted to. We're in the second week of our series called A Lasting Legacy. And today we're going to meet a woman named Hannah who dreamed of having a child only to have her dream remain elusive for a long, long time. Now Hannah lived near the end of about a 200-year period when Israel was ruled by judges. You see, the nation during this period had been unfaithful to God over and over again. And every time Israel turned their back on God, something bad would happen. A group of people, often the Philistines, would rise up and there'd be trouble in the land. And, and the people would get scared and they would cry out to God. And then God would raise up a person called a judge. People like Gideon or Deborah or Samson. And they would lead the people in battle, and they would lead the hearts of the people back to faithfulness in God. And then the Lord would bring victory over their enemies, and a time of peace would begin. Until the cycle started over again. That happened for 200 years, and Hannah lived during a time when the period of the judges was coming to an end. Now, Hannah was married to a man named Elkanah, and he also had a second wife whose name was Penina. And the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel that Penina had children. She had sons and daughters, but Hannah, she did not have any children. Now, you have to remember, in Old Testament times, when a woman was barren, it was seen as a sign of great failure. Sometimes even it was seen as a moral failure that came about because of sin. It was a social embarrassment in the eyes of the community. 
And a husband was actually to legally permitted to divorce a wife who was unable to bear children for him. In this case, perhaps Elkanah married Penina so that he could have children. But Elkanah loved Hannah. The Bible says that. He was faithful, Elkanah was faithful to God as well. And every year at the appointed time, Elkanah and his wives and children would make the pilgrimage to Shiloh. You see, Shiloh was the place where the temple or the tabernacle uh, was, where God was worshipped in the days of the judges. There wasn't a temple in Jerusalem yet. And there the people would make sacrifices to God. And Elkanah would give portions of meat to his wife Penina and to her sons and daughters. But the Bible says he gave a double portion to Hannah because he loved her so dearly. Now, year after year, Penina provoked Hannah in order to irritate her. This is not good. One wife, maybe you can handle, but two wives, never a good thing. So, Penina would tease Hannah. She would perhaps even ridicule her for not bearing any children. And she provoked her until she would break down and cry even while there at the tabernacle making sacrifices to the Lord. And that's exactly the place where Hannah is in our scripture passage this morning. Eli, the temple priest, is watching Hannah. He's observing her. I'm going to be reading from 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth, Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk, and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked for. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. And so Hannah went home with her husband Elkanah, and the Lord remembered Hannah's prayer, and the Lord blessed her. Hannah conceived a son, and when he was born, she named him Samuel, which is a name that means God has heard. God has heard. And for several years, Samuel stayed with Hannah, 
But after he was weaned, she knew it was time for her to fulfill her vow to the Lord. And so she took Samuel to the temple at Shiloh. She made sacrifices to the Lord, to the Lord there. And then she presented the boy to Eli. Verse 26. And she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. As I was working on this message, I sat there thinking that I can only imagine, and I'm not sure that I can even imagine, how Hannah must have felt at the beginning of this passage of Scripture. I mean, motherhood is such a special, such a sacred gift. And mothers play such an important role in every society and every culture on the face of the earth. I was just thinking about the role that a mother plays in the nurture and the development of her children. And it's heartbreaking for a woman. It's heartbreaking for a couple who has trouble conceiving, and yet who want a child so desperately. It tears you up inside to see a woman who wants a child so desperately. And that's how Hannah feels at the beginning. In her pain, she does the only thing that she knows how to do. She cries out to God. I mean, she pours out this heartfelt prayer to the Lord that is so deep, it's so intimate, it's so personal that she just gets lost in her prayer to the Lord. Her lips are moving, but no words are coming out. She's praying in a trance-like state. And as Hannah is praying to the Lord, she gave a vow. She said, Lord, if you will look upon me and in your mercy bless me with a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor will never touch his head. Hannah was giving a lifetime Nazarite vow to the Lord on behalf of the son that she was only praying for. Now, a little context. God had given Moses the rules for making a Nazarite vow. And these were most commonly made for a short but specific period of time, rarely for an entire lifetime. Although there are a couple of other examples in the Bible of lifetime Nazarite vows. Think about Samson, who lived a lifetime as a Nazarite. Uh, John the Baptist, as well, is another one. And a Nazarite vow was given to God when people wanted to set aside some time, to devote some time exclusively to serving God. 
Now you could make a Nazarite vow for as little as 30 days, or in rare cases like this one, for an entire lifetime. And if you read in the book of Numbers in chapter 6, we can find what that Nazarite vow included. There were three things. First, a person had to abstain from wine, all fermented drinks. In fact, anything that came from the grapevine, you couldn't, you couldn't take part in. Second, a person was not allowed to cut their hair, and if you were a man, you couldn't put a razor to your beard either. It just grew forever. And then third, touching a dead body was absolutely prohibited. So Hannah has great trust in the Lord. She trusted God to work out all the details of her life. And she didn't let the fact that she was barren become a barrier between her and God. Instead, what she did was she let the sorrow and the heartbreak that she was feeling draw her closer to God. You know, we have a choice, friends. We can let disappointments draw us away from God or draw us to God. Hannah must have believed with all her heart that God would grant her the favor of a son, even after she'd been barren for so many years. I mean, think about it. It's amazing, isn't it, that Hannah made such an extreme promise for a son that she didn't even have. That's trust. Hannah gave a vow to the Lord that she would dedicate her son to him, and God took her up on that vow. So Hannah gave her son to serve God. You see, Hannah made a bold vow to God, and when God gave her the son that she prayed for, Hannah didn't have any second thoughts at all. Oh, she cared for Samuel, and she nurtured him as an infant, of course. But when the time came, she showed great trust and faith in the Lord. She completely trusted God with Samuel, and she gave him to serve God. I know in my own life, with my own kids and my grandkids, I've had to learn to entrust them to God. Of course, there is a whole lot that God trusts us to do with our children and grandchildren, right? As their, as their parents, as their grandparents. But at the end of the day, we all have to learn that we have to trust our kids and our grandkids to the Lord. So how about you? Do you trust God enough to give your children to him? I remember eight years ago, our oldest daughter, Sarah, talked to Marge and me, and she said that she felt like God was calling her to leave her job as a teacher and begin the next chapter of her life. The only problem was God hadn't told her or shown her what the next chapter of her life was going to be. And I have to tell you, as a Christ follower, as a pastor, as a Christian, I was so proud of her for boldly trusting God enough to quit her job without another one already lined up. But I have to be really honest with you. The dad part of me is like, are you crazy? Are you kidding? What are you thinking about? But Marge and I knew that Sarah belonged to God, 
and we needed to give her and this situation to God too. And in those eight years or so that have passed, God has used her step of faith to lead her into the missionary work that she now does through the church in Romania. Only God can do something like that. You, if you were here in church or watching online just a couple of weeks ago, our new children's ministry director, Lauren Arana, reminded us that in a Sunday morning video that each and every week right here in our children's ministry that we have the future leaders of the world. We have pastors and doctors and lawyers and Sunday school teachers and missionaries and moms and dads. And we need good Christian leaders who pour into our kids their own love of God and their own Christian values so that our kids pick those up and they can carry it on too. One of the other ways that our church pours into the lives of children is through the WizKids program. For lots of years now, we've partnered with, partnered with Mount Washington Elementary School to help students who go to school there every Thursday evening right here at Anderson Hills. They're bused here, they have a meal together, and then they do some tutoring together to help give the kids a leg up on those kinds of important skills like, like reading that make a difference. And, and the administrators, the principal at Mount Washington School will say they have seen test scores rise in the years since we have been doing whiz kids. But more than that, it's the loving relationships between the tutors and the children and even the parents of those children that develops that give these natural kind of opportunities for, for students to observe how Christ makes a difference in the life of the adults who are reaching out and tutoring to them. WizKids shows children that they are loved by God and that they are loved by this church. And it is one of the ways that we demonstrate as a church that we are an integral part of this community, woven into the community where God has placed us right here in Anderson Township. Maybe God is calling you to leave a legacy by volunteering as a WizKids tutor this coming year. It'll be starting in just about another month and you can find out more information out at the Red Tower in the Connection Center today. And so Hannah gave a bow to God. Hannah gave her son to serve God. And Hannah gave her son to worship God. Now, as we learned just a few moments ago, after Hannah had weaned Samuel, probably about the customary age of three years old or so, she took him back to the tabernacle. And there she dedicated him to the Lord. She took a young bull, she took some flowers, she took a skin of wine, and she made a sacrifice to the Lord. And Hannah spoke to Eli, the priest, and she reminded him, hey, remember a few years ago, probably about four years ago now, when I was right here in this very spot and prayed, and then you blessed me. Here's Samuel, the fruit of that prayer, a child dedicated to God. And then the Bible says, he worshipped the Lord there. I can just imagine Samuel, can't you? Worshipping the Lord there with his mother and with Eli. I mean, think about a little three-year-old boy. Where did he learn to worship the Lord? 
Well, you know, it could only come from one place, right? From his home, from his mother, Hannah, from his father, Elkanah. I remember when I was a little boy and my parents would take me to church every single Sunday and we'd go to Sunday school for one hour and then we'd go to church for a second hour. I watched them worship. I watched how important learning in the faith was to them. I remember they taught me to pray at mealtimes. We had grace at our house and to pray at bedtime as well. And then when years passed and I had children of my own, Marge and I did the same thing. We worshiped and we learned together every Sunday in church. And we had a little children's devotional when the kids were little that we would read together at bedtime as they were being tucked in. And we always prayed at mealtime. And now that I have grandchildren, when they come to stay at Meanie and Poppy's house, we say grace together at mealtime. And if they get up early enough in the morning, they join Marge and I for morning devotions. You see, we can't pass on to others what we don't have ourselves. I mean, if we're not growing spiritually, we won't be equipped to model for our children and our grandchildren and other important people in our sphere of influence how they can grow spiritually too. One of the keys for us to grow close to Christ, to be more like Christ, is to deepen our own faith and our own trust in him. It's impossible for us to move on to spiritual maturity without it. Hannah must have modeled her faith to Samuel. She worshiped God and she included Samuel in that time at home. And that's how he learned to worship God and why it was so natural for him. My friends, if you want your children to learn to pray, then include them in prayer time at your home. And if you want your children to learn to worship, then worship together with them so they can watch you. And if you want to teach them to serve or to study the Bible or any other spiritual discipline, your children are going to learn it from you when you model it in front of them and include them in those activities when you do them yourself. Well, in the years to come, Hannah visited her son every chance she got when she went to Shiloh to worship and to make sacrifices to the Lord. And the Bible says that he continued to grow in stature and favor with the Lord and with men. You see, he was trained to minister in the temple, and he became a prophet and a priest. And every year, Scripture tells us, as he grew, his mother Hannah would make for him handmade priestly garments for him to wear as he learned to serve God in the tabernacle. Hannah gave her son to serve and worship God. And Hannah also gave herself to God as well. You see, in the last verses of our passage this morning, we see Hannah, she's literally bursting forth in a song of praise to God for answering her prayer for a son. She rejoices in the Lord and his salvation. She calls the Lord her horn, which is a, a symbol of power and strength in the Bible. God is her rock upon which she can firmly stand. These aren't just simple words that Hannah's speaking. They are a reflection of Hannah's heart. They show the complete faith and trust that Hannah has placed in 
in God. Jesus told a story of two men who each built a house. And one of them built a house upon the sand, and the other built his house upon the rock. And a storm came, and the winds blew, and the rains came. And the house that was built on the sand, well, it didn't have a strong enough foundation to withstand the storm, and so it fell and crashed with a mighty destruction. But the house that was built on the rock, it stood strong. It withstood the storm just fine. And we know that the purpose of Jesus' parable was to lead us to build our life on the firm foundation of the rock, which is Jesus Christ. My friends, Hannah built her life on the rock. She knew that there, that there is no firmer foundation than God Almighty. She was an example of worship to her son, and her faith and trust in God was passed on to Samuel, who went on to serve God and God's people in powerful and mighty ways. Leaving a legacy of faith and trust in God is invaluable. And it goes against the norms of our society today, which tells us to put our faith and trust in almost anything but God. But the truth is, God is the most trustworthy, faithful, dependable person we can ever know. It is God alone who is trustworthy, and there is no one else we could ever depend on as much. Not a friend, not a relative, not a spouse, not a company, not a president, not a king. And that is one of the most important truths that we can pass on for future generations. For 200 years now, Anderson Hills has been spreading the good news of Jesus Christ to people who live in this area and indeed all over the world. The men and women who came before us dedicated themselves to the work of Jesus Christ and they devoted themselves to passing on a legacy of faith through this church. There are lots of ways to leave a legacy. Sometimes it's through a mother, like Hannah, who passes on a legacy of trust and faith in the Lord to her child. And sometimes it's through giving of your time and, and sharing your faith with children or young people at church through our children's ministry, our student ministry, even with kids. Another way you can leave a legacy for future generations is by gifting a part of your estate to the church to fund ministries for years and years to come. There's a ministry here at Anderson Hills called the Asbury Society that makes it possible for you to do just that, and lots of people have already done so. There's some information if you'd like to learn more about the Asbury Society right out on the table, that round table in the narthex or the lobby. Pick it up uh, as you leave this morning, and then go get some ice cream and make sure you enjoy that too. My friends, it's one thing to believe in God. And it is another thing entirely to put your trust and faith in him completely. To trust him with your children. To trust him with your finances. To trust him with your life. Now, it's human nature to fear what we don't know. And the future is always unknown, right? 
to struggle, the struggle to place our trust completely in God is something that every single one of us has had to face and will have to face at some point in our life. And Hannah gives us a wonderful example of how to do that beautifully. It boils down to this. Faith is a belief system. Trust is an action. Faith is believing that God is who God says he is and that God can do what only God can do. But trust takes it a step further. Trust makes the willing choice to trust that God will do what God promises. May you fully trust in the character of God so that your joy and trust in him will abound to overflowing just like God's servant, Hannah. Would you pray with me? God, we give you thanks and praise for the gift of your servants, your faithful ones like Hannah, who lived out her faith in such a way that she placed her faith and her trust in you in a way that she believed something would come to pass when it was still just a dream. God, may we learn to pattern our lives after your faithful ones like Hannah, that we might learn in the midst of uncertainty and doubt and not knowing what tomorrow might bring, that we can cry out to you and pray to the Lord who always listens, that we can place our faith and our trust in you and know that you will do what only you can do. God, help us to leave a legacy of faith to our children and their children, and their children for generations to come. For we pray in Jesus' name.